Hi everyone, I'm Jasmine, and welcome to Whitman So White, a platform to share BIPOC voices and tell our stories. For today's episode, it will just be me, as Aleo will dive into the model minority myth along with Jenny. So to start off, we'll do introductions. Alea, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so you guys kind of know me, but my name is Alea. I use she, her, hers, and I am an incoming sophomore, even though it's going to be super complicated because we're going online and stuff. Ugh, whatever, that's a different thing. Um, and I am planning on double majoring in politics and art. Hi everyone, I'm Jenny and I use she, her, hers. Um, I'm an incoming junior and I'm a psych major on the pre-med track. So why don't you both start off by giving our listeners a little background about yourself um, and why this episode and this topic is important to you. Um, Okay, so my background is kind of different and a little bit complicated. Um, So I'm a Chinese international adoptee and I was adopted by a white family. However, I went to Chinese immersion school from kindergarten to eighth grade, where I was in super close proximity to Chinese language and culture. And I was fluent in Mandarin until I left that school. But um, I am also a visibly Asian person. So when people meet me, they kind of assume that I am, you know, a foreigner or like a second generation immigrant. Um, which is then perpetuated if they find out that I can sort of have conversations in Chinese with people. Um, And so with all that being said, I definitely do not have the typical Asian American perspective of having an Asian family. Um, But I think that my experience with the model minority myth is pretty unique in that I kind of had to learn about it through my own discovering of my Asian American identity as like an adopted person. And I also think that sort of maneuvering this discovery with my racial identity is in my familial context like my sister and I are the only POC in our family and this was kind of confusing because I've always had you know darker skin than my family and obviously we have different facial features so there was always a difference in the way that my family was perceived by society and the way that I was perceived and so growing up I kind of um was thinking like, okay, this is like kind of what racism looks like towards me and feeling like society um, treats me different than they treat the rest of my family who is white. Um, And so my standard was kind of weird in that like my only um, references for racism were like white people and myself. And so, I didn't have a ton of interactions with other POC communities either. Um, And so I guess what I'm trying to say with all of this is that being Asian American is like really complicated and where we stand in the hierarchy of racism um, in the US. And that's also why I'm super happy that Jenny is here to talk about it with me. Um, And we're gonna dive into the model minority myth and the complexity of being Asian American. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Um, I loved everything you brought up. Um, I just wanted to make a quick disclaimer that I am speaking only from my own lived experience as a Korean person who immigrated here at a young age. um, I just wanted to acknowledge the diversity of experiences us Asians hold since we are so often generalized. Um, Anyways, so basically for me, my parents were born and raised in South Korea 
but they moved to Japan for work. So I was actually born in Japan. Um, and then when I was three, we moved to Alabama, which was honestly so random for my first time in America. Um, and then we moved to Washington when I was eight and I've been here ever since. So I grew up pretty immersed in my Korean culture, considering that was all my family knew. So like we spoke Korean at home, ate Korean food, all of that. Um, so home and family for me was very representative of my Korean identity, but I definitely had trouble navigating where that cultural space was for me, especially in social settings. Um, I've only ever grown up in like predominantly white areas. So my family and I naturally gravitated towards smaller Korean communities where we lived. Um, but all the public schools I attended were extremely white. So growing up, I definitely experienced a lot of microaggressions and it definitely affected the way that I viewed myself. Um, I also dealt with internalized racism, which made me even turn away from my own race and just attempt to assimilate and just like fit into whatever the standard was, which I mean, was always whiteness. So all of that really forced me to just grapple with these cultural identities being Korean and American, which at the time had felt super contradictory. But now that I'm older, I've like processed what it means to hold these identities. And especially during this time, it's been super interesting just to like remove myself as an individual and just look at the big picture of where Asians fall in this racial conversation considering we do have so much privilege and also perpetuate the system of white supremacy. So I don't know, but I'm sure my fellow Asians can relate to some of my struggles. And while I recognize we all have our unique individual experiences, I still think it's super important to talk about like Asian Americans position as a whole relative to other BIPOC groups which is why we decided to discuss the model minority myth. Awesome. So could you both tell us what the model minority myth is so that we just like all of our listeners have like a basic understanding of the concept before we go into more depth? Yeah, so a pretty good definition that we found of the model minority myth is kind of just like the basic Wikipedia one. And it says, a model minority is a minority demographic whose members are perceived to achieve a higher degree of socioeconomic success than the population average, thus serving as a reference group to outgroups. And before we get any further into the episode, we all do also want to acknowledge like that the geographical boundaries of which regions are considered part of Asia and who is considered Asian is complicated, um, which we'll talk about in another episode that we have planned. Um, however, for the sake of this episode, when we talk about the model minority myth, we're mainly focusing on um, East Asians because that's who Asians have been stereotyped and generalized as in um, American media. So that's just kind of um, some base stuff that we wanted to clear out of the way. And some experiences that I've had um, with the model minority myth personally is like, when I'm meeting adults in life and like earlier on when I wanted to go into STEM, um, 
they would sort of say something like, oh, of course you're into STEM or like, I've never met an Asian that's bad at math and science. And like these kind of um, fall into the category of what Jenny was talking about with um, microaggressions. And these are a little bit more aggressive than microaggressions, I think, but um, comments like that have kind of made me feel like my own studying and hard work wasn't really anything um, to other people because they just thought that it was like part of my DNA or that it was attributed to my being Asian. Um, and other things that I have felt um, being a result of the model minority myth um, was kind of when I was applying to college, and this is also a bigger conversation, but um, affirmative action as a whole is really complicated in like being Asian American. And I felt like putting down my race on college apps um, was going to change the conversation on the college admissions and that might negatively impact me. And I think that that was like, a, had a lot to do with um, the model minority myth too. Yeah, I mean, I totally relate to all of that. Um, I mean, this is kind of funny now that I look back on it, but like in middle school, some of my friends would like ask me my test score and I'd tell them and they'd be like, oh, of course you did well, you're Asian. Or like another was like, I wish I was Asian so that I was smart, which was like so crazy to me because for me, like I just wanted to be them and look like them and just like fit in with everyone. And so while I saw my white friends be rewarded and respected for their accomplishments, it was just kind of expected for me to do well. And then if I did poorly, my friends would look down on me for it, like as if my identity or worth was placed in my achievements. Like it was just so crazy to think that there could be like a dumb Asian, like, I don't know. Um, but I think most of the time, the model minority myth is just detrimental to the mental health of many Asian Americans. And yeah, I agree. Affirmative action is super complex and it is a whole different conversation. Um, it's interesting because like there are Ivy Leagues like Harvard, like filing lawsuits. Um, and like historically Asian Americans have fought for affirmative action, especially like when we weren't being given the opportunities that white people were given. And now that we have, it's like, oh, now we're against it. Um, I mean, I'm sure that you're gonna talk about this in a future episode, but yeah, it's definitely super complex. Yeah, I think the thing that Jenny brings up when she was talking about um, being smart and being Asian was sort of like the same thing. And it sounds like a compliment because they're like calling you smart but then you don't give value to any of the things that I've done and like my hard work and all of these other, like the time that I spend on, you know, studying and like knowing more information and stuff. And so it's such a weird, like manipulative way of like attributing something to someone's race, which I don't think a lot of people like think of when they think of racism. Like I think a lot of people like, think that racism is more like blatant and that they're like oh like you don't belong here because you're Asian 
Yeah, and it totally just like doesn't allow us to be diverse people, like with other great qualities about ourselves. Like my white friends can be like athletic and funny and kind people, but like we're just smart. And I've, I like, we definitely see that like in the media, especially in like movies and TV shows like the Asian side character. Um, I mean, that's definitely a whole nother topic, like Asian representation in the media. But yeah, it's definitely not great. <laughs> um, I'd like to ask if this sort of um, contributes to any imposter syndrome that you've experienced. For me, it was really weird because when I was in Chinese immersion school, a lot of the emphasis on our education was placed on like math and science. And so for me, like coming out of that school, going into a private predominantly white high school, I had absorbed those values in my education and sort of seeing those as like where success was. And I also, I think paired that with being Asian also. And so I kind of have this like internalized racism too in that um, and internalized model minority myth. And that like going into a predominantly white high school, I was like, oh, like I am high achieving in math and science. And so I feel like I'm like one of the smarter ones in the school, which kind of sounds bad, but I think that that was I guess like the opposite of imposter syndrome, but then I think as my high school career sort of progressed and I realized that, you know, there are a lot of like other directions that you can go in terms of like interests and careers. Like I felt like I hadn't been prepared in that way. And going into those other things, I felt like I was like not gonna do as well because for like whatever personal reasons and also I wasn't taught to um, see those things as valuable like history and English and like all that stuff and having society project the model minority myth onto me further and you know complimenting me on my um, achievements in math and science it was really hard for me to step away from those things because I obviously got privilege from going into those fields as like an Asian person and being rewarded for fitting into that stereotype. Um, and so kind of stepping away from that and going into hopefully politics and art um, is, does bring up a little bit of um, imposter syndrome for me. Yeah, um, I think for me, just like Growing up, I always felt like all of my hard work was very like diminished and it like definitely translated over to like how confident I felt like in a classroom setting or like career-wise, like when I have a job and stuff, like I always feel like, oh, like what I'm doing isn't enough, like it won't ever be enough because it's always just been like expected for me to do well. And yeah, so 
I guess like I feel imposter syndrome in that sense of just like feeling unqualified because I haven't because like there was this disconnect of me feeling like my hard work was coming from myself when other people were I guess crediting that to my race. I also think that for me growing up in a white family and sort of like having this notion of racism too um, contributes to imposter syndrome because like I obviously haven't grown up in a white family benefit from um, them excelling in a society that thinks that white people are superior and like that happens for me financially like all of the educational opportunities to have been in some way supported by like my family's position in a country that sees them as more important than other um, races and then me having more recently realized that I hold a higher position in the hierarchy of racism than I had previously thought also contributes to that and that like I feel like I have a lot of racial privilege just in the in my own personal context that I sort of like attribute some of my achievements to like that privilege and like to a certain extent the position that I do have um in my achievements is attributed to that but I do think that like it's hard to find a balance between like my own personal hard work that went into it and you know just like acknowledging that I have privilege too so that balance is really hard to find Um, and then I want to circle back at one point that Alea made um, when, for example, she cited this kind of backhanded compliment, like, oh, I wish I was Asian because I would be smart, for example. And this point of blatant racism is what is seen as like the only racism. But when you really think about it, the most prevalent racism among not the conservatives that we demonize, but among like the white liberal, for example, is this casual racism. And perhaps this is like a conversation we should have, we will have like at a later date or something, but just so that people are aware that racism is not necessarily in your face and that it's important to kind of consider what your implications are when you say something. Um, but that's like another topic. Um, so just like all racial ideologies, the model minority myth seems to be born out of some sequence of historical events. So could you speak a little bit about this? Yeah, um, so over time, the model minority myth has been used to reinforce the harmful idea that if minority groups work hard enough, then they can become successful. So usually it's used in the context with Asian and Black people, for instance, saying, hey, racism doesn't exist anymore. Asians are minorities too, but they're successful. If Black people just worked hard enough, they could be just as successful too, which is so harmful and just preserves the racist systems that are in place. And although Asians and Black people are both considered minority groups, um, the lived experience and history of both groups is so incredibly drastic and our differences are usually weaponized against each other. Um, I think it's super important to highlight that many Asian Americans immigrated to America and chose to live here, while many Black people were enslaved and taken from their homes. 
So like in terms of history, like after the Immigration Act of 1965, like only highly educated Asians were selected for visas to come to America and work for white people. So like Asian immigration, Asian refugees, all of that just like is not the same thing as being enslaved and facing centuries of oppression and dehumanization, which like still currently manifests itself through systemic racism. Yeah, I just, I find it like really annoying and just confusing that like we learn about, you know, like the Chinese Exclusion Act in US history and like other things that Asian people have gone through um, in the history of like the US and like, you know, carrying around identification cards in order to like prove that their existence in this country is like valid by whatever government um, and like that is not unique to the Asian experience, by the way, and neither is like being welcomed into the US for their labor and their bodies. And then when the US doesn't need them anymore, they are just kind of ushered away and no longer um, welcome here. But then like all of that, considering all of that, um, learning that in school, but then white society then uses like Asian people to tell, you know, it's other white folks that racism is a result of laziness and systemically disenfranchised groups. Um, and if they just worked harder, they would, um, you know, overcome racism. That just sort of seems like such a roundabout way to like make an argument that doesn't even make sense. And I think that that's something that we often see is like just picking and choosing different little things to highlight in order to like make the case that, you know, racism doesn't exist and that it is supposedly attributed to like laziness. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's so strategic. And I feel like if more people had critical thinking skills, that they wouldn't be led to that conclusion that like, because Asians um, supposedly occupy higher economic, um, socioeconomic statuses that racism doesn't exist because they have learned the history. Hopefully they've learned the history and maybe they haven't and that's a totally separate issue, but <laughs> yeah. I, it's super confusing to me. Yeah, um, it's funny because like, I feel like white people in power ignore Asian Americans, but then only give us attention when they're using us to oppress the black community. Like, we're just like being used to, like we're being pitted against the black community almost. And like, it's also just, crazy to think that like this whole concept of like the American dream and like how people immigrate here and work really hard like from the ground up which I'm sure is the case sometimes but a lot of the time like immigrants come to America already like having great careers from like education in their home countries and like America or white America will be like, oh, look at this doctor, like who became a doctor, but it's like they already came to America as a doctor. So it's like taking all of the credit and saying that like, oh, like black people, you can do this too. Like if you just work hard, it's just so like the logic is just super flawed and manipulative.
So you talk about Asians kind of being held to a higher standard than other disenfranchised groups in the U.S. So what are your thoughts on the model minority myth upsetting racial dynamics in the U.S. and complicating discussions about race? Yeah, um, I kind of touched on this a bit, but we're definitely used by white people as a wedge against other minority groups. Um, I mean, when you think about it, the model minority myth just exists to divide us. And I mean, we're pitted against the black community and all of this is just to maintain this racial hierarchy that keeps whiteness at the top and blackness at the bottom. And I mean, most of the time, like Asians allow ourselves to be used. Um, White America has made it super clear that being silent and compliant will be rewarded with opportunity. So it's like if we keep our heads down and please our white counterparts, we can just continue to benefit from this racist system. And I mean, I know a lot of the time Asians and other minority groups feel a lot of pressure to assimilate, Um, but this assimilation just pushes us to accept and be a part of this white system. And we're definitely guilty of perpetuating anti-Blackness in our own communities, which I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but it's super evident through colorism and like the beauty ideal of having lighter skin. And like, we've definitely fed into and have reinforced this belief that Black people can succeed if they work hard enough which is just crazy because how do you work hard enough to overcome centuries of systemic oppression, literally like ingrained into the foundation of this country? So I don't know, like we've definitely allowed white people to rid themselves of this responsibility for the racism and systemic issues in America and just point the blame towards the black community. Yeah, I really appreciate like what Jenny brings up about assimilation um, because like she said, it really shows how non-white people and communities are rewarded for assimilating to white culture um, and being silent on behalf of other like injustices that are happening. And I have really complicated feelings about this for myself um, because I can't speak as someone who grew up in an Asian family um, or community, but having grown up um, an Asian person surrounded by white culture at home and in my high school years, um, I do feel a sense of complicity and benefiting from anti-Blackness for sure. Firstly, from my family's position of benefiting from living in a white supremacist society, like I had mentioned earlier, the strides that they have made aided by it have inevitably been passed on to me as part of the family, um, which I also kind of mentioned earlier too. And then secondly, being viewed by others as like an Asian person and someone who exists in the upper tiers of who our country values um, based on racism and colorism as well. It sounds like in some ways that um, Asian people benefit from the model minority myth, um, but obviously this is not the entire narrative. So can you both talk about why the model minority myth is racist and dangerous? Yeah, so one of the harmful effects is that this model minority myth creates this single narrative. 
And it just completely ignores the diverse range of experiences of over 40 Asian countries. Like Asia is the largest continent in the world and each country is unique with their rich cultures and experiences. Um, there are also huge disparities between the different ethnic groups in Asia. So this blanketed model minority stereotype just doesn't allow Asians to be complex, diverse individuals, and it homogenizes cultures, erases inequities among us, which is super detrimental to ethnic groups who are struck by poverty. And it's important to note that income disparity is highest among Asian Americans. And so this is a quote from Madeline McKeek, but she states, the U.S. Census reports that about 50% of all Asians have at least a bachelor's degree, which is significantly higher than any other racial group. Looking closer, this statistic is less than 20% for Hmong, Cambodian, Laotian, Bhutanese, and every single subset of Pacific Islander. By boxing together the largest continent and a whole ocean of people, we wrongfully ignore those at the margins of the main narrative. Yeah, I think this is super important to bring up because then under the model minority myth, if we're just sort of like saying that all Asians are smart and successful, that the people who are struggling the most um, don't get the attention that they need in like social movements and stuff as well. And I think like a lot of the history that gets ignored also is that like I know um like Hmong people and Cambodian people especially like have immigrated to the U.S. or as like refugees from atrocities that have happened in their like home countries and I think that that is really important knowledge for just sort of anyone in relation who have relationships with like Asian people um, or just even if they don't like recognizing the huge like Jenny said diversity that comes from like being Asian and I do think that like the other really important thing is that and Jenny also mentioned this is that like Asian people don't get to be like full human beings like if our perception or like how society perceives us is of only like being smart and successful and all those things are attributed to race it's like you totally just erased my like other things that like make me who I am. Like I do really embarrassing and dumb things all the time. And that like definitely has to do with like who I am, but those things don't get recognized. Um, and neither do just like the other things that we're interested in and like to do and stuff like that, so. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, another thing that I wanted to bring up is that like the model minority myth is also harmful, like in the sense that it portrays this idea that racism doesn't exist because it's like, oh, but you're successful. How could racism possibly exist? And if it does exist, it's just merely a joke. Like we're just like the butt of every joke. And like, I can't even count how many times I've been called racial slurs and the number of people who refuse to learn my name, um, seeing my immigrant parents be mistreated in stores and restaurants. Like I could go on and on. Um, and then like, if I ever like confront someone about something they've said to me, I'm like considered like crazy or dramatic because 
it was just a joke and I should just be okay with it. Um, and like, I do recognize that I have so much privilege being Asian American, but I also recognize that no form of racism is okay or funny. And I mean, oftentimes it was like these microaggressions or attacks weren't like violent in any sort of sense. Like it was mainly like affecting my mental health and the way I viewed myself. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting, like during this pandemic, how like Asians are now being violently targeted and they're being used as scapegoats for the negligence and just complete stupidity of our government. Um, but yeah, Alea, if you want to touch on that. Yeah, I, so like before coronavirus, like I had never really thought about like my appearance going out into public um, and never really was conscious of like, oh, like I'm Asian, so it might be dangerous for me to go out in public right now, um, which I know a lot of um, Black people have said that that is something that they always think about when going out, um, especially, you know, at night or whatever. And like, it was very jarring to me because I, so we have a cabin in Northern Minnesota that we go to during the summer. And this year it's like a four hour drive. And so it's a really long drive. And so we usually like stop and get gas, like use the restroom and get snacks and stuff. Um, and this year when we drove up there, I was like, I am not getting out. I am not going into like these gas stations where, you know, in these super rural, like kind of Trump town um, places in Northern Minnesota, because I was scared to, you know, like wear a mask in the store um, and have only like my eyes showing, which is like a really big thing um, that Asian people have like had conversations about with you know, being made fun of because of our eyes. Um, and so like, for me, it was a huge sort of like realization, like I've never really had to think about this before, but now that coronavirus is happening and like the US has sort of pitted as like a disease that came from China and being Chinese um, was super, just like kind of scary and like put in perspective for me, the not super great extent to which I face racism, like when going out and um, having people like act certain ways towards me because of one, my skin color and like just like being an Asian person in general. So that definitely gave me some perspective. Yeah, um, it's also just interesting to like, now I just feel like there's so much attention on Asian Americans, like because of the pandemic and how like Trump literally refers to coronavirus as the Chinese virus. And just seeing how like this has like played a role like in our personal lives as Asian Americans as well. And I don't know, like 2020 has just been so insane, but like, one thing that I've learned is just how intersectional everything is, like how the pandemic hits BIPOC communities the hardest um, and like black liberation means liberation for all. Um, and just like the complexities of holding varying identities like being a black trans woman, um, we're seeing intersectional feminism and 
women coming forward, sharing their assault stories. Like the state of our world is pretty crazy, but I hope everyone listening feels compelled and inspired by all the necessary change occurring and the incredible work that's been done mainly by women of color. Um, also, I just wanted to shout out Hannah and Leah, who are two incredible women, and they wrote the document, Results May Vary. So whether you go to Whitman or not, you should check it out. Um, let's hold our administration accountable and demand an anti-racist campus. And I also think that, like, even this episode, we touched a lot on, like, how Asian people benefit a lot from anti-Blackness um, and how, like, the model minority myth directly perpetuates, like, this anti-Black rhetoric. Um, and I think that, like, whether you're Asian or not and you're listening to um, this podcast, that, like, there is a lot of work to be done. And I think, like, obviously spreading the emotional and mental labor that's going into like making these changes at Whitman is um, super important. So definitely read results may vary, talk about it um, and also like compensate people for their work, which is something that we recently posted about as well. So check that out. Um, One thing I wanted to add, kind of tying to the coronavirus um, issue that we're having um, is whenever historical events happen, for example, the pandemic, it usually specifically targets like a certain group of people. With the coronavirus, it's specifically Asians. And I don't say Chinese because it's not like people are specifically targeting Chinese people. They generalize all Asian people. So this also makes me think of a reflection that my dad recently had um, with um, the 9-11 terrorist attack and how right after that there was this mass movement of hatred towards any Middle Eastern or Arab person. And him being like a very visibly Middle Eastern man, as an Iranian, he he was often kind of dismissed and also given glares, um, and kind of talked bad about in public spaces because people don't know the difference between one race and another race. Um, And not to say that a specific race should be targeted at all, but just know that a lot of races are grouped together. And just because it's like, oh, it's an attack on Chinese people or it's an attack on Iraqi people, that doesn't mean that they're the only ones being targeted. And so it's important to think about kind of who's suffering during these historical events and that it's, it may be something that you read about, but it's something that everyone within those like marginalized communities are actively experienced and being harmed from. Um, So that's a good reflection to have during something like the coronavirus pandemic. Um, That's kind of all that we have for you today. So we want to thank um, Jenny for joining us. And as always, We hope that this episode left you with something to think about and we'll be back next week um, with a new episode of Whitman So White. Lastly, none of the time and energy we spend on Whitman So White is being financially supported. If you can or would like to pay Jenny, see our Instagram post for her payment options. The guests on Whitman So White will have payment options on our Instagram posts. So go to at Whitman So White, pay up and open your purse.